Bishop Earl and I will answer the question, does Genesis chapter 2 verse 24 support polygamy or not? Next on Polygamy, What Love Is This? Hi and welcome to this audio edition of Polygamy, What Love Is This? with host Doris Hansen. On this program we discuss polygamy and Mormon fundamentalism from a biblical Christian perspective. We talk about the history of polygamy, its modern day fruit, share stories from people who have escaped polygamy, and talk about current events relating to polygamy. You can learn more about the video edition of this program at whatloveisthis.tv. And now, here's Doris. I recently discovered a website in my searching for uh, new topics for our program. And the website is on your screen. And it's where the author posted his conclusion that the Bible supports polygamy. And he referenced referenced to Genesis 2.24 as a supporting scripture for his comment. Now, there's a lot of bad information out there. (laughs) And the topic of polygamy has more than its share of people who claim the Bible supports polygamy. But I was astounded. I don't know about you when you saw this information. It was astounding. (laughs) When, when I saw what this person wrote, the Genesis 2.24, and used it as a foundational verse that God never commanded against living polygamy. Well, that <laughs> it's not even in the verse, but right. his assumptions are not supported by the text or the context, nor by what the entire Bible teaches about multiple spouses. Now, one big problem is he said that God told him the very things which led to his error-filled conclusions. And, and, and I just need to mention here that we all must be really careful. What others tell us that God told them about something, especially if it's not in the Bible, yeah, exactly. or if it contradicts what is in the Bible, and I think our culture is a good example for that. For sure. You know, we want to read portions of this article that need to be addressed and corrected. Again, you can find the entire entire article and read it on the website. Now, some viewers may ask, what right or inspiration or special special revelation do we have uh, that what we say is reliable or even eligible for, for consideration? Well, we don't need to claim dreams or visions or highly elevated prophetic status in order to make accurate biblical conclusions. And this is why. Yes, these are two verses from 2 Timothy chapter 3 and chapter 2. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a workman who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. So the scripture yeah. is used to be correct, to, to correct bad doctrine or wrong right. doctrine, and, and we need to be able to handle it correctly. That's what it says. Not dreams and visions. <laughs> and not dreams and visions, right. Yeah. So, so God exhorts us to study, to learn and discern his Bible, and because of that we're capable of doing so if we approach it according to his guidelines. Actually, the Bible interprets itself We study and compare scripture with scripture and make sure that our conclusions are not contradictory but remain always in harmony with the rest of the Bible. We are commanded by God to correctly discern his word, but it takes personal hard work and a willingness to surrender our ideas to God's word. And I think that's the hardest part of it, is a willingness to to surrender his idea. Now, the writer of the article is saying that Genesis 2.24 supports polygamy. So... Let's read what it says. 
Yeah, Genesis 2.24. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. Now, that supports polygamy, right? Well, it's not the way <laughs> I've ever read it. But. Now, this is the first marriage and God's description of how the marriage should begin and how it should be maintained. Notice it was monogamy. Notice that the two shall become one. Now that is foundational. But the author of this web page article says this. I wrote, and this is a quote, I wrote a series on the Lord's statement in Genesis 2.24 10 years ago in response to the claim by some clerics that the Heavenly Father was against polygamy and that he was instituting monogamy when he said in the verse above that, and so shall a man leave the parents and cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one. Some of them even claim that no polygamous man can make the kingdom of heaven because God created only Eve as wife for Adam because he wants a man to marry only one spouse. I am returning to the issues now because of the dis discussion I had last week with some Christians who still have misconception on the statement of the Ancient of Days in Genesis 2.24 and that he is not against polygamy. So there is a need to enlighten them in the light of the Lord's explanation to me on these issues. Well, I thought that was a very interesting yeah. group of comments. Now, we need to realize that when God explains his word to humans, he doesn't <laughs> contradict himself. And he said no scripture is a private interpretation. One biblical doctrine doesn't contradict another, and God does not comply with the human idea of situational ethics or changing morality. Truth never changes. Truth remains the same through all the generations. Although truth doesn't change, our concept of truth will change. Our understanding of truth will change, but the truth itself never changes. Never changes. It's, it's unchangeable. If it could change, then it would be something else besides the truth. Now, when this man writes that he needs to enlighten Christians based on God's explanation to him, that's private interpretation, right? Yeah, it like if it. his explanation is true, it will be in harmony with all the Bible concerning God's special plan for marriage. It will not beg the question of continuity or harmony. He set the stage by saying that the Christians in question believe that Genesis 2.24 supports only monogamy. monogamy. But he says that God is not against polygamy. Another quote. I am also writing this to let them know that they are lying and committing sin if they claim that Almighty God, Jesus Christ, or the Holy Spirit told them polygamy is evil and that, no, that a man should marry only one wife. This is because God made no law against polygamy in the Old Testament, neither did Jesus or the apostles speak against it in the New Testament. During the Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus spoke on marriage, he only talked about divorce and adultery. Well, there's a lot there. We uh, <laughs> tried to condense it down. First of all, he said that God made no law in the Old Testament against polygamy. What about number seven of the Ten Commandments? <laughs> and he forgot also to read Deuteronomy 17:17 17, 17 and Leviticus 18:18, 18, 18, both for, for forbidding polygamy in different sections of their culture. And we've quoted those verses many times in past shows. He said that neither Jesus nor his apostles spoke against polygamy in the New Testament. What about 2 Corinthians 7, 2, which we've quoted many times in the past, which proves him wrong on that point, too. Now, there are numerous other New Testament passages that we've discussed that, that is for monogamy and not polygamy. So he's wrong unless he's looking for the word polygamy. 
which is not used in the Bible. But the practice of having plural wives is forbidden in both the Old Testament and the New Testament. Now, he said that Jesus spoke only on marriage and divorce in his Sermon on the Mount, not, not about polygamy. So we'll go to those verses from the Sermon on the Mount and determine if what he's saying about that is correct. This is so strange. Matthew 5, 27 through 32. You have heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out, throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for the whole body to go into hell. It has been said anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for marital unfaithfulness, causes her to become an adulteress, and anyone who marries the divorced woman commits adultery. Okay, now he, he's saying that, God, uh, that Jesus is not speaking about polygamy or forbidding polygamy yeah. in these verses. But before we tackle that, I would like to co- quote from a very uh, respected commentary on these verses. Yeah, this is interesting. We are not to suppose from the word here used, adultery, that our Lord means to restrict the breach of this commandment to married persons. The expressions, whosoever looketh and looketh upon a woman, seem clearly to extend the range of this commandment to all forms of impurity, as they most certainly were intended for all, whether married or unmarried. Our Lord first expounds the seventh commandment, and then in the four following verses applies his exposition. So it's not just for that one thing. It's the principle that's being spoken of here. Now, when Jesus said anyone, he's including everyone. And I think think that's a good point as well. So here he's describing attitudes towards sexual behavior. If looking at a woman lustfully is equivalent to adultery, why isn't it adultery if a married man takes plural wives? Even more so. (laughs) He's doing much more than looking. He's touching and hugging and making babies and then demanding her to remain uh, chaste while he's all out looking for other wives Mm -hmm. for his bed partner. That easily fits into Jesus' description of adultery in the heart of a man. And if divorce and remarriage is adultery on the part of the spouse who remarried, he has more than one spouse if he remarries, and isn't that what polygamy is? It sure is. So Jesus did teach against polygamy, not by using the word polygamy, but certainly by principle, he definitely spoke against married persons having sexual contact with more than one partner. And Jesus verbally reaffirmed Genesis 2.24 that the two shall become one flesh supporting monogamy. Now, remember, biblical requirement is to study, (laughs) to rightly divide God's word of truth. But this writer claims that God told him that Genesis 2.24 was not describing monogamy. He said he was doing something else. What was that? Here's what he said. <laughs> what, he was putting into pl- what he was putting in place was the type of marriage the men in ancient Israel were to have. This was the situation in which a man had to serve the father of the girl or woman he wanted to marry for seven years before she is released to him. 
as was the case with Jacob, who worked for Laban for 14 years to marry his daughters Leah and Rachel, found in Genesis 29, 1-25. through 25. And Jacob's marriage is the only one in the Bible where the seven-year service condition was made known. Well, now I think that he's become extremely confused with all this because Genesis 2.24 has no connection with a man working seven years for his wife. No. Did you see that in no, there at all? No, I didn't see that either. He said that Genesis 2.24 actually instituted a service condition that didn't come into ancient Israel until hundreds of years later when Jacob served seven years for each wife. But Jacob didn't serve for his wives in Israel. He was living in Padan Aram which is north of Israel. It's in what is now the Syria-Turkey region. So I guess our, the author of the article didn't take that in consideration. In those days, a man paid a dowry for a wife, and that's all Jacob was doing. But the dowry for a wife is not what Genesis 2.24 is talking about. No. This merely proves the point that anybody can read anything into a biblical text and then twist it to mean what they want it to mean. Now, there's a huge difference in a text that describes behavior from one that decrees behavior. And when Laban forced Jacob to serve seven years for each of his wives, that's a descriptive event. It was not God establishing and condoning the behavior. But how this man connects it with with God's okay with polygamy is way beyond my yeah, comprehension. It really is. Now, there's many human practices that are described in the Bible, but they're not commandments of God. And this is where many people are stumped, because a lot of them think, and I used to think that too, until I, until I started my, my journey into the... Started the, really thinking. Uh, huh? Right. <laughs> but they think that if it's recorded in the Bible, especially if, if godly men like Abraham and Jacob and so on live polygamy, that it must be okay with God, or perhaps even commanded by Him. But that isn't the way it works. The Bible reports things, but reporting it isn't commanding it. And the shocker is that this website writer claims God revealed to him a connection between Genesis 2.24 and Jacob working seven years for his two wives. He explains it further like this. Digging deeper and deeper. <laughs> As a result, I thought it was peculiar that Laban took advantage of Jacob's situation to treat him that way. It was to know the true position of things that made me raise the issue with the Heavenly Father ten years ago. And his reply, and his reply was that it was the common practice in Israel and that it was what he was putting in place with his pronouncement in Genesis 2.24 when he said, And so shall a man leave the parents and cleave to the wife, and the two shall become one. Okay, so again, he mentions it's a common practice in Israel when Jacob didn't even, he, he was Wasn't not even, even living in Israel, in Israel at the yeah. time at all. And he married them um, not living in Israel. It was years later, years and years later that he went back to Israel. And so his explanation just actually made me gasp because I couldn't understand no. how his interpretation uh, was logical at all. It's beyond any reasoning from Scripture. And there is no connection between those two events. So let's read read Genesis 2.24. Specifically, it says, For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. 
Okay, so I don't know how you can interpret that any where other way. Do you, where do you get that in there? I looked at it, looked at it, and I invite our viewers to answer the question: How does this equate to a command from God to serve seven years for a wife, yeah. or, or or dowry, take a second yeah, wife or take any. a second yeah. wife that yeah. is okay with polygamy? Yeah. Um, and even even working seven years for a wife doesn't support polygamy. No. Unless he's thinking, well, Jacob had two wives, and so it must be okay, you know, to yeah. work seven years, and that's Genesis 2.24. Cherry-picking the, the scripture, I guess. And I, what I found very interesting about this is in his whole article, and again, you can go on the website and read the article, but he kept talking about how many awards he's received and how many, um, how many people have commented and... and, and um, um, believe the, this concept? Yeah, for, yeah. Oh, really? And, and it's almost like, I'm, I'm great because I am able to hear from God and do all this, where it kind of made me nervous yeah. reading all that into it. Was but it from the polygamy groups? <laughs> no, no, it, it was not from a polygamy uh, group. It was from a polygamy culture, but not one of yeah. our polygamy groups. Interesting. So anyway, it's, it's just important for us to be able to rightly discern what the Bible is teaching, and it must be in harmony with the rest of the Scripture. Yeah, taken in context and in harmony with the Bible mm -hmm. with everything overall. Else. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Okay, so we have another topic. Actually, we have a couple more topics that we want to talk about. A few weeks ago, I received an email from uh, a former polygamous lady who is now an activist to help end child marriages in the United States. And this is what she wrote to me. Please tell me what you know about this statement about what the Bible says. They put the bill to end child marriage back on the assembly agenda for Thursday after they had removed it May 24th because one legislator insisted the Bible requires a girl who is raped to marry her rapist. So this woman, she's not a Christian and she's not necessarily a Bible follower, but she was ready to roar on this one <laughs> if the Bible actually taught that. So she wanted my input on what was going on. Now some background information too. The organization called Unchained at Last rose up in anger at a New Jersey state legislator who refused to support a bill to end child marriage because he insisted that the Bible uh, requires a girl who is raped to marry a rapist. Mm -hmm. And of course, um, after the outrage, they eventually put the bill back on the agenda for the vote. Now, this is the passage from the Bible that they are referencing. Yeah, and it's from Deuteronomy 22, 25 through 29. But if out in the country a man happens to meet a girl pledged to be married and rapes her, only the man who has done this shall die. Do nothing to the girl. She's committed no sins deserving death. This case is like that of someone who attacks and murders his neighbor. For the man found the girl out in the country, and though the betrothed girl screamed, there was no one to rescue her. If a man happens to meet a virgin who is not pledged to be married and rapes her, and they are discovered, he shall pay the girl's father fifty shekels of silver. He must marry the girl, for he has violated her. He can never divorce her as long as he lives. So that's the verses that this New Jersey legislator was referring to. So I responded to her explaining that everything in the Bible must be taken in context, knowing who the passage is written to and why it was written is also very important. <laughs> 
We cannot just read a passage like this and assume that God is telling the whole world through the eons of time that this procedure needs to be followed. That simply is not true. This was written to the ancient Israelites. It was not written to the Mormons or to the polygamists or to the New Jersey legislature. (laughs) It was written 4,000 years ago, give or take a year or two. (laughs) So why was it written? Well, there's certain aspects of the culture in those days were very barbaric 4,000 years ago. Women were fair game to one and all. They had no rights, they had no legal defenses, no protection through laws or community. And most devastating was that if a female lost her virginity before marriage, she was ruined for life and she had no possible marriage prospects. Her future was destroyed. So you can imagine what happens to a girl that is raped and and she's not married. Yeah. Okay. So right. she's she's and not she, betrothed or anything. Uh, right. She's lost all right. prospects for her future. Now, God always wants his people to be morally different, to be compassionate and to respect everyone, male and female alike. He wanted the males to know that sex was not a trivial thing and that if the male wanted sex, he would pay for it with his life, just like the female was forced to do. The male faced either death or a lifetime of marriage to the woman he ruined. So if he didn't want her as a wife for life, he better not be trying to have sex with her before marriage. Now, that's a good principle. It is. Yeah. <laughs> and there probably was not as much rape in, in the Israel culture at that time as there was in the other countries around. And this, of course, was protection for the female, and it punished the male rapist. If, uh, if it changed, and it changed the attitudes, it would change mm-hmm. the attitudes of those barbarians to be more considerate and compassionate and protective towards females. So this prote- <coughs> procedure is not to be used as a guideline for rapists today and for their sentences at all. Plus, they don't have shekels of silver anyway. (laughs) Right, right. But the principle, of course, is that God values females equal with males then and now, and it remains the same. And the person that she referred referred to who used the Bible as his reason behind his decision not to support an anti-child marriage law obviously doesn't know the Bible or the reasons behind the text. In the end, we do hope and pray that Utah, when it comes to Utah vote, that they will follow other states in backing a bill to outlaw all child marriages forever with no exceptions allowed. That would be nice. Yeah, yeah. it would be very nice. It would, it would stop a lot of problems that's going on, trafficking and so on, yeah, that's, that's going on in this country. Yeah. <clears throat> and finally, along the same lines as, as child brides, <laughs> the evil fruits of Joseph Smith finds further fulfillment each time a new group of polygamous men form an alliance to practice Joseph Smith's infamous false command of polygamy. And this happened recently when the men of the Knights of the Crystal Blade were arrested for taking and exchanging little girls for polygamous brides. One man was charged in June of this year, 2018, with sodomy of a child for his alleged activity in August of last year. Three men have been charged uh, with child sexual abuse in this newly formed so polygamy group that only had three male members. <laughs> three male members. They have to start somewhere, yeah. don't they? Sad. According to the court documents, each man secretly married two girls, ages four through eight. Mm. 
and each little girl the men married was a relative of the other man. So they're just exchanging their kids. One man pleaded guilty to child rape and mm. abuse and was sentenced up to life in prison. The other pleaded not guilty to sodomy and child bigamy charges. None of the men had yet taken adult plural wives. What a surprise. It's interesting <laughs> that the author of one article I read about this commented this way. The Knights of the Crystal Blade is based on arcane Mormon ideas long abandoned by the mainstream church. Each man secretly married two girls ages four through eight, prosecutors have said, and each man married a relative of the other, according to court documents. He said that this current activity, there's more in the news about this, yeah, by the way. There's a whole a lot, lot more it, yeah. that, that was going on. And you can find it, of course, by searching the Internet for it. But he said that this current uh, activity, I thought was interesting, that his choice of words. Yeah, I noticed that. That, that there, what happened with this new, new three-man group uh, is based on arcane Mormon ideas. Like it was just... They were a long time ago. Yeah, long abandoned old, by the Mormon Church. Right. But it's also saying that the Mormon Church once had it. Yeah. And you know what? That's interesting because the Mormon Church at one time did hold to odd and illegal and very uh, secretive marriages, including child brides. Joseph Smith took two 14-year-old brides, and other men followed in his footsteps. Men exchanged favors for daughters, for the daughters of other men. And that still happens in polygamy groups today. Oh, I'm sure. It does. Oh, yeah, all the time. Can you imagine being a 14, 15 year old and knowing that your child is going to be eyeballed mm -hmm. <laughs> around and yeah. and then they'll say, if if you'll handle this for me, my daughter, you know, yeah, we'll, will, make your we'll daughter have available. A, we'll have a direction from God to marry you. Yeah, so sad. the doctrine of polygamy remains in the Mormon scriptures, and the Mormons plan to practice it again at some future date. They so sure do. they don't have clean hands in any of this. <laughs> The judge in this most recent case said that the, contact, the, the conduct was highly disturbing, which I thought was an interesting phrase, because for years people have been saying that Joseph Smith's conduct was highly disturbing. And indeed, Jesus said the bad root cannot produce good fruit. But Utah culture continues to turn a blind eye to obvious bad religious ideas, which brings bad fruit to the table and could be one reason that Utah's suicide rate is up almost 50% in just a few years. Mm. And we're going to talk about that next time. Well, that'll be interesting. <laughs> yeah. This was so, when this hit the news about these young, uh, these guys and then they trading off their daughters and stuff. It was just, it was just sick. It was so sad. Yeah. And they, and that, so that's young. the one where they hid them in the barrels and, yeah. and it was cold overnight and uh, they discovered them later. But, mm. and I just can't help but wonder the emotional trauma they went through unless they get some good counseling, it could stick with them for oh, life. These kids will be ruined forever. And, and you know, this is just all, there's always new, I mean, look at the Lafferty brothers. It's the same thing. They were following in the old arcane Mormon yeah, idea, yeah. you know, to, to. And justifying it through probably some fundamental Mormon doctrine yep, of polygamy absolutely. and absolutely. justifying their actions. And mm -hmm. Joseph Smith left behind. A new revelation. <laughs> Thanks, Earl. You betcha. My pleasure. <laughs> See you next time. Okay. You know, have you ever wondered why new polygamy groups continue to be formed so many years after Joseph Smith instituted polygamy and so many years after the LDS Church gave it up? Well, the Bible has the answer 
to almost everything, and it has the answer to this. Jesus said, bad root produces bad fruit. Paul the Apostle wrote that evil men would always show up, and they would go from bad to worse. Now, we have it with this, that. Joseph Smith was a bad root. All of the false doctrines of Mormonism and of polygamists are bad fruit from that. And the bad fruit will manifest itself in the daily news headlines like what we just read, reporting the crimes of these evil men. And how do we stop it? Well, it's simple. Just toss out all the teachings of Joseph Smith and turn to Jesus Christ and all his teachings. That's guaranteed success. Thanks for watching. This has been the audio podcast edition of Polygamy, What Love Is This? This program is a production of A Shield and Refuge Ministry and Main Street Church of Brigham City. You can view current and past video episodes as well as download audio episodes of this program at whatloveisthis.tv. If you or someone you know is in need of assistance in leaving a polygamous situation, please contact us. We are here to help. All of our contact information can be found at shieldandrefuge.org or call us at 877-425-9993. If you have any questions or comments about this or any of our other programs, we'd love to hear from you. Write us at email at whatloveisthis.tv. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us again.